No Premier League content, no problem. We are back during an eventful international break with some more content just to fill the gap. What's what do we got on the agenda today? We got a bit of a miscellaneous mishmash of international break sidemen charity match mm. content. Because definitely, you know, besides the international soccer, we definitely had, you know, arguably the biggest charity <laughs> match. Yeah, you know, I, I in, don't think it's history. arguably, you know, over a million dollars they, they raised. And like, mm-hmm. you know, sidemen are as popular as ever. Um, I was a sidemen fan since, you know, the KSI, like, pack opening Since the days. days where they actually played FIFA. Yeah, since the FIFA <laughs> days. Like, nowadays, that, that's it's going just, way now just, nowadays, just Among Us and, like, gta 5 clips but uh like i'm going way back and like Mm. this is as big as they've ever been and they were big but um i didn't catch a second of the charity match live i caught the highlights um Mm. but i was on twitter and i don't think there was more than like one tweet in a row that wasn't about the simon charity match on my on my feed yeah it was everywhere the Gold bridge to Sarah Alex Ferguson comparisons, the speed to Ronaldo comparisons, uh-huh. just fly. And like, I fear, I truly fear for any world footballer, significant world footballer that has an off day in the coming months because the clips are going to come out. Mm. I mean, you got to feel for uh, Southgate, who's being, uh, you know, they were calling for his head and wanted <laughs> Goldbridge to replace him. That's never. That's never a good <laughs> sign in terms of job security. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that and, like, the Noah Beck to, like, be on the World Cup squad comparison. Noah, like, Beck, Noah Beck is actually a baller. Like, yeah. like that, that's not even, we're not even joking around here. This is not probably, like, he's actually, like, <laughs> insane. I, hashtag United is going to swipe <laughs> him up. Seriously, they already have one, like, social media TikTok star on their team. Like, they can get another one on there. That's true. Anyway. Enough with the banter. We got some real international break content to go over. Speaking of real, England got really relegated into League B (laughs) of the Nations League. And to be honest, I don't exactly know what that means until I looked it up. And that's... Same same here. I didn't realize that how Nations League worked before I found (laughs) out that you could be relegated in Nations League. I'd like to consider myself pretty (laughs) up-to-date on all the soccer stuff and... Even this, I, I was like, what are they, who are they playing now? Like San Marino? They already play San Marino like three times a year. I think they're playing like Finland or I, I looked at the group, but. That's funny. <laughs> it's though. a group they may struggle in. Right now, <laughs> considering, I mean, they're bomb of this group. I mean, this was supposed to be their World Cup. And now it's like they're going to be very, very hard pressed to beat a bad USA team now. <laughs> On Thanksgiving or on Black Friday. Yeah. On the most, like, American of <laughs> events. Just pure corporate marketing yeah. of days. Uh, speaking of no, the U.S. men's national team, going. they didn't exactly they impress didn't care either. They didn't much better. 2-0 <laughs> <laughs> no, loss to Japan. No shots on target for a seemingly should-be superior U.S. team. Although Japan is pretty good. Um, but. Japan has some players, but at least going forward, the U.S. has a few more weapons. I mean, we were missing Pulisic, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, you don't need Pulisic to get a single shot on target against Japan. You'd think. Not only did they not manifest a single shot on target, 
but they gave up possession 54 times in their own defensive half, which is like, it makes me think that they were just experimenting, like almost like in, you know, spring training when pitchers only throw fastballs because they just want to, you know, get their arm warm. Doesn't yeah. matter how many home runs get hit off them, they just keep throwing fastballs. That's kind of like what I felt this was, even though I didn't catch a ton of the game. It just felt like a tactical experiment more than like an actual uh, like read into what the U.S. men's national team might look like come November. So I'm not too worried about this. Um, I am worried that this tactical experiment failed. Uh, but I, <laughs> You could I, say that. <laughs> as, a, as a U.S. men's national team fan for all of my life, uh, you know, what worries me is the quality of the team, not necessarily the fact they gave up 54 the possession 54 times their own defensive half trying to play out of the back. Like, so be it. They were never, yeah, uh, I mean, they were never game, a build-up team anyway. This game is almost too bad to judge. Like, there's almost no conceivable way that the U.S. men's national team could play this poorly, like, <laughs> consistently. Hmm. It's like if Real Madrid lost to, like, their own, like, U21 team. Like, it's not going to happen again. So, honestly, unless something like this happens against Saudi Arabia, which I believe <laughs> they play tomorrow, um, I think you can consider this game a write-off, but nonetheless, you know, shouldn't be feeling good necessarily about this first game in the World Cup, you know, warm-ups. I haven't felt not good about this team either. I haven't felt good about this team since 2015. So, and in terms of their strikers, the suitor has not still not been found. It's still a you know revolving door up there, trial and error. You know, you got Josh Sargent who has been probably the better of the five that we listed here. He is playing in the championship. He certainly, he certainly stood out. I mean, he definitely. this is definitely you know, the highest production he's ever had in his career so far. That being said, like you say, it is the championship. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's always hard to judge based on, you know, what kind of league you're competing in, but it's better than if he hadn't been scoring any goals there. So there is that, but I think again for me the standout has to be Jordan Peefock in his first, you know, six appearances in the league, three goals, two assists, and Union Berlin are top of the league. And the fact that he isn't selected for, you know, this squad for the World Cup warm ups is just beyond me when again, it's such a revolving door when it's such an open race. There's absolutely nobody who has this locked up. And the fact that he's not even willing to look at Peefock in the World Cup warm-ups. Because it's not like it's just been, you know, P-Fox had a good start to the season and he's just come onto the scene. He scored like 26 goals in the Swiss League last year. Mm-hmm. It's like he's come from nothing. There's a reason why he got this move to Union Berlin over the summer in the first place. Mm-hmm. So really, I mean, this is a striker that people have been talking about for the last 12 months. And a striker that people were really excited to see, including myself, what he would do at Union Berlin. He has been performing. And he still isn't getting the call up. Honestly, I just can't understand it. Greg Triple G Burhalter. You know, it's a complete crapshoot at this point. I think, you know, and we'll get, I'll save a lot of my U.S. men's national team predictions for the World Cup predictions podcast. But I just think that when this U.S. men's national team World Cup roster comes out, there are going to be some surprises on there and not some good ones. That being said, there is a, you know, I'm not going to say a lot to look forward to, but they're a young team. Brendan Harrison's had a really good year. 
Gio Reyna is now getting a lot of playing time for Dortmund, which is nice to see. Mm. Uh, Tyler Adams has played really well. Weston McKinney is now back. Uh, like, there, and, you know, Matt Turner, obviously, in goal. Like, there's a lot to, I'm not going to say a lot. But well, the potential is there. Yeah. Yeah, there's, obviously there's, there's a high something ceiling. to look forward to, and it's not like they're going into the World Cup, like, you know, on bad form. Like, maybe they are on bad form, but, like, there's, there's, they have the potential to surprise, and I think that, you know, when you're a U.S. men's national team fan, that's kind of all you can ask for going into a World Cup. Mm. There isn't a ton of expectations necessarily on results. Like, obviously... We want to get out of the group. Like, that's, like, realistically, like, the goal the U.S. should be getting out of the group. But after that, I mean, obviously, it depends on who we draw. I don't think the U.S. are expected to go any further than that. It's Really, it's going to be about how the team looks, how we perform in these games against, you know, against big names like England. Obviously, that one is going to be a massive game, not just for the players, but really for the fans, Mm -hmm. England versus USA. Of course. So... It's really, I think this is going to be more about an eye test, really, than the results. And if they pass the eye test, then they'll make it through. Which they haven't so far. Fine. <laughs> Which, you know, they, they usually don't pass the eye test. Mm. But who knows? The World Cup, you know, has a chance for surprises. Anyways, that will round out our international break run through. Again, I, this is, you know. International break, a little, little dry on content, not necessarily the no, spectacular yeah, happenings of a Premier League match week. Um, especially with literally the Sidemen yeah. charity match was the most exactly like I wish we dedicated more <laughs> of the segment to that, to be honest. Um, but we do have some Premier League content for the pod this evening. We have the debut of Premier League table swaps. Name TBD. And Premier League table swaps name TBD will go as follows. Ethan and I have written down our preseason predictions as they were uh, articulated on the Premier League preview podcast back in August. But with this international break, with, you know, that first quarter of the season or fifth of the season or thereabout, in our back pocket, we now get to swap three times. I guess, I don't know how to really explain it. You get to swap a team spot with another team three times. Mm-hmm. Three individual swaps. Three individual swaps. two teams are involved in a single swap. Yes. So. so the strategy of this is not only do you want to move, let's say I'm moving a team down, I also want to swap them with the team that I think is going to move up. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a trade-off, kind of like a strategy type thing, and you only get three, and you can't swap with a team that you already swapped with, so you can't like swap one down and then swap yeah. them back up. Mm-hmm. So it's really just a way to kind of just like overreact, overjudge the first couple weeks of the season. So I have my swaps, and I assume Ethan has his. Ethan, would you like to lead us off? We'll go. We'll alternate. You do one, I'll do one. Okay. So I'll lead us off with my first swap, which is probably on paper the most glaring miss of my table so far. And that means I will be moving Leicester from my predicted 7th position into 12th. 
And the team I predicted to finish 12th was Brighton, so I will be moving them up into 7th. So that is now Leicester in 12th and Brighton in 7th place. You still believe in Brighton even after the, uh, the obvious managerial change? After the manager swap. And I'll get into that. But first, I'll start with Leicester. Mm. And I will say that I still have faith in Leicester's squad quality. From the midfield up. Yeah. <laughs> the defense and keeper have been nothing short of shambolic. I mean, it was an issue last season. And it was an issue before the loss of Schmeichel and Fofana. They were still leaking goals, especially from set pieces last year. And... Now it's just gone up a level. It's not an issue anymore. It's a full-blown crisis. They're leaking goals yeah. left, right, and center. And the reason for my prediction before the season is, one, I was banking on Leicester's stubbornness in the transfer market with Fafana. It seemed like no matter what, like they weren't going to budge. And to be fair to them, they did budge, and they should have, because Chelsea way overpaid for Fafana, in my opinion. Like Chelsea moment. Chelsea. Anyway. Yeah. Big Chelsea energy there. <laughs> And I was also banking on the fact that Brendan Rodgers would get more backing himself in the market since up to that point, Leicester hadn't signed a player. And I was still kind of hoping that, you know, they'd give him some money to spend. I later found out after the predictions that Brendan Rodgers only could spend what he sold. So in January, they may be able to, you know, recoup some value for, you know, for Fana. Obviously, they'll have, you know, 70 million to spend. So they'll definitely be looking to shore up that defense. Hmm. But just because of their defensive ceiling, even if they do bring in reinforcements, I still think 12th is a much more realistic finish, even if they do you know, bring in a couple players. So I think 12th is right around where they could finish. Maybe they finish just inside the top half. Hmm. But I definitely think that they will turn this around because you know, they're not you know, a last place team. Let's be honest. It's just a really bad run of form. And one thing I will say, I find it ironic that Brendan Rodgers was given zero backing in the transfer market, and now during the season when he's been god awful, he's he's being given all the time in the world. And Thomas Tuchel was the exact opposite; <laughs> he was given almost like three hundred million to spend, and then when he had like what like one bad loss, like two bad losses, but he was still in sixth. Now they, they fired him, him. So <laughs> just. Funny how the Premier League works. Isn't it? But anyway, I'll talk about Brighton for a sec, because they're the other part of this swap. So like you say, obviously, you know, before the loss of Grand Potter, having predicting Brighton in seventh wouldn't be that far fetched. But obviously, you know, Grand Potter was kind of the mastermind behind everything. Because let's be honest, Brighton's squad quality was all down to Quite what poor. Potter made them. Exactly. But nonetheless, just because Potter left doesn't mean that everything he built is gone. Like, it's still the same squad of players that he kind of molded. Mm -hmm. They still play well together. Yes, it'll be a different manager, but, you know, the quality that Potter has created is there. You know, the chemistry is there. So, maybe they won't finish as high as seventh. I mean, this is a swap, so I can't really, you know, move them down a couple places, but I still think that they'll definitely finish top half. I am confident of that, you know, which... You know, in my first Premier League predictions, I wasn't so confident with. But they are playing really well. And, you know, who knows about this new manager? You know, he could be even better than Potter. So, who knows? I still think that it won't be a detrimental loss to them. But they may feel it a little still. I mean, honestly, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> like, came back around on Leicester. I didn't agree with anything you said about Leicester preseason. 
you can I think you came around a little bit after the performances and stuff not to yeah. when they just perform like absolute dog shit. And Danny Ward in goal is like literally a U seventeen keeper. So Yeah. It, it's, it's it's just it's very bad. tough to watch over there. Um I mean I'll do my first swap. It has Lesser City in it too. I had him in twelfth and I'm moving him down to seventeenth. Wow, even further down. Seventeenth. I'm dropping him down to seventeenth. Right now they're in dead last at one point. They're going there. I'm dropping him down to 17th. I'm moving Brentford up to 12th, who was originally in 17th. Brentford, mm. before I get into Leicester City, a little bit about why I chose Brentford to be this high. Obviously, I think they're sitting eighth right now, um, or seventh, maybe even higher. I think no, they're not in the top six, but I think they're sitting eighth. I think they're like ninth. Yeah. Um, they've Actually, looked have the very good. Ivan Tony's been red hot. Like, there's no mm. reason that Brentford can't finish 10th, 11th, or 12th this year. They, they have that. They've had a fantastic start. Thomas Frank has got them going. Solid defensively. Some really big wins this season. Um, Very, very good at home. Very, very, very good at home, which is, you know, obviously essential in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, the, nothing, to, nothing to not like over there, to be honest. Like, just they've, they've gotten the goals. They've kept them out in the most simple way I can put it. <clears throat> As for Leicester City, they have not gotten the goals and they have not kept them out. It's really, really confusing almost, considering how prestigious Brendan Rodgers is. And not only how prestigious Brendan Rodgers is, but this squad composition is like top six pushing mm-hmm. in, on paper. Like Vardy, all the attacking Vardy, Madison, and Didi, Harvey Barnes, like Tielemans. Te- yeah, Tielemans is still there. Like I, I think it just might be the the attitude. It has to be because like Tielemans was like pushing his way out. It's very tough to come back and kind of like fight for your club when you're pushing for a move. Yeah. That's you know obvious. Um, I don't know. It just it doesn't make sense with how experienced Brendan Brendan mm. Rodgers is. If this was like Steven Gerrard, then yeah, I would get it. He's an experienced manager. Like some of the players might be very frustrated in the dressing room. Like younger team too, like Drewsbury Hall, Harvey Barnes is still young, James Justin. Um, but it's with the experience of the manager and. Like even James Madison is playing really well. <laughs> like yeah, he is. Playing he's well. playing really well, <clears throat> and that team has mm-hmm. one point. Like yeah, what the like? They conceded six goals to Tottenham Hotspur, four in the second half. Like that's a tactical issue. Did it? I mean, I did. Did Human Song come come on and score three very good goals? Yes, but conceding six goals is a tactical issue. Like that's on the manager. No team in the Premier League. Teams lose, team, teams concede six goals all the time, but it is a tactical issue. And for such an experienced manager, it's really frustrating. I can see from a Leicester point of view, just like why. And you kind of have to, like, if I'm on the Leicester board, like, am I going to sack Brendan Rodgers? Like, yeah, but I'm definitely going to think three or four times before doing it because he's such a proven manager. Like, you kind of have to give him time to figure it out because he, you know, demands that re- respect and that it's it's just it's a tough spot for a Leicester board. I don't think he'll make it to the end of the season, but I think he'll probably get at least another month or two, probably at least at Christmas. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they're already giving him a lot of yeah. 
slack. I mean, considering some of the other managers that have gone and how early and for, you know, how little wrong hmm. they had done. It's surprising that based on what we've seen from, you know, the Scott Parker and Thomas Tuchel firings that Brendan Rodgers is, you know, still in a job. So clearly they're willing to give him a bit more slack. How much more? Who knows? So we'll have to see. But definitely just like the squad morale and, you know, the energy that you get from that Leicester team. Maybe the loss of Casper Schmeichel. I mean, he was their captain for so long. I mean, he has been there, you know, through all of, you know, Leicester's like real like history in yeah. the last, you know, seven, eight years. You know, title wins, you know, FA Cup wins, you know, Champions League runs. You know, he was there through all of it and, you know, the captain, the anchor back there. So maybe it, that has had a big effect on the team, but who knows, mm -hmm. really. But either way, we can, we're both regretting how high we put Leicester this season. Yeah, and I didn't even put him that high. I thought 12 was like yeah, you, a regression. You were, you were low on Leicester I, and you're going low. I literally <laughs> put in my excerpt, due for a regression, I put him in 12th and I just like pretty much doubled the amount of spots they would drop in the league but yeah. anyway hit us with number two all right for number two i have fulham going from my prediction of 19th into 16th and nottingham forest moving from 16th to 19th so now i have nottingham forest going down fulham getting not getting relegated fulham staying up <laughs> Talk and <to> <laughs> It's hard for me to come around on a relegation pick this early, and I never in a million years would have thought that this early into the season I'd be turning my I'd be changing my mind on Fulham. Not that I didn't think that Fulham it was possible that Fulham could stay up. I wouldn't have been like completely shocked if they did. But the fact that I'm pretty confident this early that they'll stay up is been really surprising to me. Um, Mitrovic's production has been the big difference for Fulham now between past years where they've gone down. You know, every year prior it was, okay, Mitrovic can do it in the championship, but he can't do it in the Prem. He's doing it in the Prem and in a big way. He looks unstoppable, really. He looks like just such a menace for Premier League defenses. I hate when Arsenal had to play against him. I'll hate when we have to play against him again. He's just... Uh, just massive behemoth of a man who finds goals in any way he can. And they've just impressed in every game, even the ones they've lost. Like I said, you know, in Fulham's loss to Arsenal, it was a tight, tight loss. Uh, they also lost a tight one on the other side of North London against Tottenham away. And just the resilience to come back in certain games is the mark of a team who can survive in the Prem. I mean, they came back against Nottingham Forest, who obviously. You know, I'm changing my tune about them mm -hmm. as well. You know, this is one of the examples of that where Fulham have that kind of resilience and it just doesn't seem like Nottingham Forest has it. And I'm not necessarily jumping ship on Nottingham Forest just yet. Again, it's a swap. So one has to come up, the other has to go down. <laughs> but I am worried. I'm definitely worried because it's going to take some time for these new signings to gel together. But rarely in the Premier League do you have that sort of time, especially in a relegation battle? Like, you can't, you know, dedicate the first, you know, four, five, six months of the season to getting your team together and then 
you know, try to turn it around in the second half. It rarely works. Mm. So that definitely is concerning. And I wouldn't be surprised if both Nottingham Forest and Fulham avoid relegation. Because I do still think that going into, um, Jesus, where do Forest play? I can't remember the name of the stadium. But going into their place and getting a result isn't always the easiest thing. It definitely has been difficult for Arsenal in the FA Cup over the last five years, that's for sure. So <laughs> it's not necessarily easy getting points from their place. Maybe they'll toughen up a bit. And I could see them both avoiding relegation, but Fulham definitely looks the more likely of the two. My swap also has Fulham in it. And by the way, like, what you just said, I predicted, like, before the season. Yeah. I was like, Nottingham Forest have just way too many pieces. Jesse Lingard ate it. It's not going to happen for them. They're going to get relegated. And then I was like, people are forgetting that Fulham have this guy, Alexander Mitrovic, who's, like, a born and bred goal scorer and will single-handedly keep them up. And that's exactly what's happening. Anyway, just like to point that out. <laughs> anyway, but that being said, I am adjusting Fulham in my table from 15th to 9th and I am dropping top half I am dropping my ninth place team West Ham into 15th now this pick again the kind of the challenge of these swaps the the puzzle um was that there was some compromise involved do I think that West Ham's mm. going to come in 15th this year? No. I think they're going to come a little bit higher, probably closer to 13th or 12th. However, part of the compromise is that you need to swap them with the team. I didn't really feel comfortable sending Villa down farther or Brighton, to be honest. I think Brighton are a better team than mm. West Ham, um, who are my 8th and 10th. And I'm sure, sure as hell not sending Newcastle down to 15th. So, And I'm not sending Fulham up to 7th. So I think this is a nice spot for them. I do think Fulham are going to come 9th or 10th. They just look very solid, like even down to like Burn Leno and goal. Like that was a great signing mm-hmm. and he looks very good. Tim Ream has looked very good. Anthony Robinson, despite getting injured, has looked very good. Um, obviously, Alexander Mitrovic has gotten them more than a few points this season by himself. Like as a team, they're just competitive in every single game. Like re- usually relegation teams and teams like this that aren't very, you know, don't have great squad depth, you know, are out of it against teams like Liverpool at halftime. They're just, like, down 2 nothing at home and, like, have 30% possession. That has never happened yet. We talked about it, like, uh, either last week or the week before. Like, they have two losses this year, and, like, one of them was to Arsenal, and they probably should have got a point out of it. Like, that was at the Emirates. They, they just stay in every single game. And over the course of 38 games, if you stay in every single game against every single team, you are going to come near the middle of the table, even if you're bad. Are you going to lose a lot of those games like they did at the Emirates? Sure. But if you stay in every single game, you're going to get a ton of points, especially when you have guys like Mitrovic that can go get you the winner, as he has before, in the 80th plus minute. I think they're coming ninth. They've impressed me even more than I, they... I knew they were going to impress me preseason. I thought that their lack of squad depth was going to ultimately inhibit them from kind of pushing the top half of the table, but I stand corrected. They have looked even better than I thought they were going to. I have midnight. On the other hand, West Ham have been pretty shambolic offensively. Antonio hasn't been it. Now, they've gotten unlucky. 
that Chelsea mm-hmm. game was Obviously, like dreadful, disgraceful. But yeah. it, it wasn't just that. Um, over the course of their games in the first fifth of the season, it's been, you know, the ball. Sometimes the ball doesn't roll your way, and I think on ex expected points, they're probably not in fifteenth or in eighteenth. I believe they're in right now. They're probably not in eighteenth on expected points. Yeah, but. You know, the reason that teams overperform like Leicester in 2016, 2015 is because they had great attacking talent and guys like Jamie Vardy who could outperform the XG and get you points. Mikel Antonio slash Skamaka really isn't really isn't that right now. And last year, Jared Bowen kind of was the engine behind their team. He hasn't been good so far. Their defense has been very lackluster. Like there are clear, clear glaring holes in this team that need to be fixed before I can consider them the ninth place team that I thought they were preseason. Um, they could very well push the, push the top half of the table during the remainder of the season, but right now they could very well sit 13th, 14th, or 15th. So that's my roundup on West Ham. Hit us with your final swap. So my final swap involves two of the big six. So we're getting towards as does the top mine. Ooh, Don't okay. tune out now, listeners. It's just getting good. <laughs> so I have Spurs moving from fifth place into third, and Chelsea moving from third place into fifth. Once again, Brain is smirking with delight that I am coming around to his earliest Premier League predictions. And encouraging me to continue. <laughs> so, <laughs> like Nottingham Forest, I'm not completely jumping ship on Chelsea just yet. But it's become a lot clearer who's the more likely candidate. And that's what this is based on. Who's more likely. And I really couldn't tell you with a straight face right now that Chelsea is more likely to come in the top four than Spurs. Obviously, Chelsea got their man in the end. And, you know, who could not be coming into this job with higher value right now. Grandfather. He's the guy they wanted. He's been doing fantastic with Brighton. No complaints from Chelsea there. That being said, managing Chelsea is different than managing Brighton. At Brighton, grandfather had to take, you know, a squad of players who some would probably considered, you know, relegation candidates. I was kind of just, before grandfather, I was looking at Brighton and thinking, how have they not been relegated yet? Like, this is not a good quality side. And grandfather took that team and made them a well-oiled machine who plays like a really good brand of football. And, you know, they finished top half of the table. But now he's at Chelsea and he has to take already established world-class players and take them to that next level. Not just, you know, pushing for top half in European places, but, you know, pushing for titles and Champions Leagues and FA Cups or at least losing in the final just as Tuchel did. So <laughs> Grandfather, he definitely has a much, much different job on his hands. Some may say that it suits him even better. If he could do that with Brighton, think what he can do with, you know, the already established players. And some may say, well you know what, it's a completely different ball game. But the point is it's a question mark. And the question mark doesn't exist for Spurs because Spurs have it figured out. You watch Spurs and it takes you two minutes to figure out that this is an Antonio Conte team. They are playing and completely in his image. Spurs have it all figured out. They're playing exactly how they want to play. And 
they've perfected it. Even against the worst teams, against Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest was dominating possession and pushing them into their own third. Spurs looked so comfortable defending in their own third and just breaking on the counterattack. It's what they want to do. If you watch Spurs, you know, you may be tricked into thinking that, you know, they're getting pushed back. No, they're just sitting back. It's exactly what they want to do. They do it perfectly. They're playing Antonio Conte ball and they're doing it to perfection. And it's been working so far. They're right up there in the Premier League right now. And, you know, they, when Antonio Conte took over, he had a lot of work to do to Mm -hmm. put this team in the top four. And he did. And, you know, some of their summer signings have really looked good. Richarlison, even though he's not starting, which we didn't really expect him to, he's when he has started in the Champions League and such, he's been very good. And when he's come off the bench, he's been very good. I have to come around to Ivan Perisic. He's not washed. He's actually very good. He, he's been he's been a great. He's addition. he does what he's asked to do. Yeah, he's he's not out there, yeah. you know beating kids 1v1 and slapping it in on both feet like he was in his prime. But, you know, mm-hmm. he was brought in to play left wing back in this, you know, rigid Antonio Conte five-in-the-back system, and he's been very good. That Credit to the recruiting team as well. Yeah, I didn't realize the role that he would play in this Antonio Conte side where he's just whipping balls in from wide instead of being more attack. He's an attacking fullback. Obviously. And I thought he was purely playing as like a winger. <clears throat> and it's it's a classic example of like the uh the Shaq quote where he's like, you know, I, I have to apologize. Familiar. I wasn't familiar with your game. <laughs> so I have to make that unfortunate apology to Ivan Perisic. Ivan, I'm sorry. But nonetheless Tottenham, they look like a top four team. They really do. Much more than Chelsea do right now. Chelsea could definitely look like a top four team for the rest of the season. But they have to get the results to boot. And it's really going to be a competition of who's the best of the best. Because Chelsea could end up being a really, really competitive side. But just look at you know the Manchester Cities, the Tottenham's, the Arsenal's, Liverpool. I mean... Right now, Liverpool are the odd men out right now. They're the only ones who haven't got it figured out. I mean, United, they've seemed to turn it around already. So, right now, I'm still, I'm still confident that Liverpool will turn things around. So, who knows we'll finish hmm. in the top four then. But right now, Spurs definitely look like the more likely of the two. I, I agree. Uh, I think it's finally time, before I go into mine, I think hmm. it's finally time to say that like you know there's not only one way to win a soccer match when you're a big six team you know yeah you got arsenal and city and liverpool and united that go out there and dominate possession work the ball around pick their way through you that's not how spurs does it that's not how spurs will continue to do it there's more than one way to win a football match that's what makes our sport so brilliant is that you know it's not just swinging a bat or, you know, pick and rolls. There's a billion, trillion different ways to score goals. And, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I, as frustrated as I have been watching Tottenham Hotspur get 38% possession against Leicester City and bang in six goals, like, mm. it fucking works. And when you got guys up as there... As a rival fan... Go ahead. As a rival fan, it's so hard to watch because you're, lure, you're lured into a false sense of like hope like oh my god you know what like 
they're outplaying Tottenham. Yep. Like they they could you know nick some points off and Tottenham. Then it's like Spurs do not look good here. And then yeah, it's as soon as Spurs get the ball, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> as, as soon as you see you know yes. Son and Kulosevsky running down the wings, and you realize it's like Hoybier uh, makes one attack. Hoybier yeah. makes one clean challenge, and it's like a three on two break. And in three seconds, yeah. Son is like tapping the ball into an empty net. Like yeah. it's brilliant from and it takes a a, a trained eye to see that but mm. it's it's really brilliant and yeah. you know although that style of soccer is very difficult to win a league with because you know sometimes you'll get dominated for 65 minutes and you only get three chances but when you got guys yeah. like Harry Kane and Kingman Son you know you score those three chances and you beat Man City every time like yeah. can you win a league like that i mean over the course of 38 games you're just going to you're going to go to like Fulham and only take one of your three chances and then take only a point, you know. So it's just it's tough to win a league like that, but right now they're comfortably picking up points and I don't see that changing. Yeah. Anyway, I also have my big six swap. I felt like it would be a little bit unfair just to kind of go for the small minnows and not go for the big fish. So originally my top six went as follows Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs, United in fifth and then Chelsea in sixth. I will be swapping Liverpool in second with Chelsea in sixth. Putting my table as City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, United, then Liverpool. Let me elaborate. Please do. You know, Ethan, how big a fan I am of Graham Potter. I, I, I in my preseason notes... I haven't touched him since. In all caps, it just says, I love Graham Potter, and I don't care what his team looks like. (laughs) And that got me a pretty damn near correct prediction of how Brighton would play this season. And uh, I I don't think that should change. The reason I I put Chelsea in sixth is because I didn't like what the morale and the composition of their locker room was at the end of last season. Tuchel looked like he was losing the locker room. The players looked uninspired. There was really, really poor performances towards the end of that season. And I just was unimpressed. And I thought that if that continues through, and I said, again, I thought Tuchel would be gone by Christmas. I honestly didn't expect Tuchel to play this well during the <laughs> during the first seven <laughs> games, and he still got fired. Yeah. Um, so I expected Chelsea to be like in 14th when he got fired. Instead, they were there in like eighth. No, not even like seventh. I can check the table right now. They're in seventh. Seventh. Like now they have, and look, another reason I didn't like Chelsea is because they don't have a striker, and they still don't have a striker. Mm. Pierre Aubameyang, coming from a diehard Arsenal fan that watched every second that Aubameyang played for Arsenal through his three and a half years at the club. He is no longer a Premier League proven striker. That's it. And Chelsea will pay the price for that. However, do I think Chelsea are coming in second? No. But I wanted to move Chelsea up, and I wanted to move Liverpool down. I really wanted to move Liverpool down, and I'll get to Liverpool in a second. I want to move Liverpool down, I did not feel comfortable. I, I, I thought it was a little bit like whatever to just move Arsenal up one spot and Liverpool down one spot. So I wanted to be a little more controversial. 
I uh-huh. don't think Spurs are coming in second. I don't think Manchester United are going to get it together enough this season to come in second in the Premier League, especially with how well Arsenal are playing. And I, you know, I just thought that it had to be Liverpool because right now, Liverpool, you said it like seconds ago, they're the only team that hasn't figured shit out yet. And there's a lot of shit that they got to, like, we are giving Liverpool a lot of credit for being Liverpool. Salah has, like, two goals in the Premier League. Uh, I think one. He has two, because he has the same. Oh, wait, does he have the same or, or less than William Saliba? I can't remember. I think it might be one. I think it's less. Yes. Erling Haaland has 11, <laughs> and Mo Salah has one. Darwin Nunez is a train wreck right now. Uh, the loss of Sadio Mane has essentially derailed their attack. They're playing James Milner and Harvey Elliott as a midfield pivot. Trent Alexander-Arnold doesn't have the defense to play on my Indiana club soccer team, let alone for one of the best <laughs> Premier League teams in the league. Uh, Virgil van Dijk is defending with his aura, and their second <laughs> center back is like a fucked up Joe Gomez. And you're going to tell me that this team is coming top four? That all that shit's just going to get magically get figured out? Like, their injuries are still there. Tiago's still out injured. He's been good, but he could maybe like band-aid this midfield. But like, He's very injury prone. He'll probably see 20 games max for the rest of the season. Premier League appearances max. Like, there are so many fucking holes in this team right now. And like, you're, and I said it before, and I believe that Jurgen Klopp can figure it out because he's still one of the best managers in the world. However, this team is like shredded right now. Offensively yeah. and defensively. Like, they, they got battered by Napoli battered 4-1 and like it's one of those things where like oh they have like 60 something percent possession like yeah sure you can keep possession when you have van dyke and henderson and elliot and you just play around the back until you find your holes but they lost shots they lost shots on target like they lost expected goals 4-1 they lost to napoli like that's a fucking tactical issue they got a lot of shit to figure out this moving chelsea down and liverpool up was more on Chel- on Liverpool moving down than Chelsea moving up. Because yeah. Chelsea, uh, I do believe in Grand Potter, and they have an awesome, awesome squad over there. Cucurella's really good. You know, I believe in Koulibaly. Mason Mount's awesome. Conte's still there. Like, I hate Kai Havertz, and it's the only reason I, d- I don't think they're coming in second, to be honest. And the fact that Arsenal and Man City are just very good this year. Um, mm. I Like, I do think they'll rebound and get top four easily. Um. I don't know who they're kicking out. Probably Liverpool and Manchester United. But it's more on Liverpool because I was not concerned about Liverpool after the first three games of the season because I was like, ah, whatever. But after seeing them in Champions League and seeing them play these teams and just like, and look, the, the Bournemouth game is like, that's the only reason I haven't like fucking jumped ship on this team is that like they just uncorked on Bournemouth and like they can still easily score goals by the way Mo Salah didn't score in that game like yeah, this or assist. this like Mo Salah his goals got them like 35 points a season in years past and he has one goal if he ends up two, with actually. less than I did look it up he's two yeah he's I two. thought he had two I, 
Stop fucking with me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Because <clears throat> he had the one against the United that I forgot about. Um, this is just like, they got so much shit going on. I, I'm co- If I'm a Liverpool fan, I'm like concerned. Now I'm concerned. I called out Liverpool fans in a tweet, in a clip that has gotten a lot of likes. 2.3K likes. The most we've ever gotten. And I'm now going back on that slightly after what I've seen the last <laughs> month because of just, like, who's playing well for this fucking team? Andy Robertson? <laughs> like, Allison, maybe? Luis Diaz. D- uh, Diaz That's... is playing well. Yeah, he played, scored a screen. Diaz is playing well. But, like, this whole fucking midfield is in shambles. What, even when they're healthy, it's like it doesn't look good. They have to play Henderson and yeah. Fabinho to even have an ounce of stability. And that, that's really, like, unproductive. It, this is, like, I'm fucking concerned for this team. I really am. And I like it when Liverpool play well because they're beautiful to watch when they are, but losing Sadio Mane has, like, domino-affected this entire fucking team into a spiral that has, is not going to stop anytime soon. They need January is what they need. They need, they to, need the World Cup. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, well, honestly... It's going to be really cool to see, cool slash scary to see how forms change going, like forms going into the World Cup yeah. are not going to be forms coming out of the World Cup. And, you know, we'll get to that a little bit closer, but they, they could use the World Cup. They could use this international break. Like, they just need to sort some shit out, get some players back on the field. Like, losing Sadio Mane, I'll say it again, was just derails their attack more than we thought because, you know, Mo Salah scoring 30 goals a season is tough to think that he's not the guy up there, but it's just, like, crazy. I I honestly didn't think I'd ever be saying this, that Liverpool are just completely derailed, but they are. And I think, I genuinely think they're coming in sixth, maybe seventh, depending on how well Newcastle play. And that is all I would say about that. Yeah, I mean... It's definitely concerning for Liverpool. Definitely a lot of concerns there. But, I mean, obviously, they still have the squad quality. It's just a, que- it's a question of when they turn it around. But, again, the same as it is in a relegation battle where, you know, you don't have that luxury of time to turn things around. It's the same at the top of the table when Liverpool is a team that are supposed to be competing for titles. They're already how many points back yeah. of, you know, the top of the table? Like eight or nine they don't have that kind of luxury and they don't have that kind of luxury in the champions league either i was kind of joking um because you know i was rooting against liverpool and you know the champions league but now that they've like lost have they lost two games of the first three i think so i think they lost the first one too yeah so but now like i'm worried that they're gonna drop into europa league and we're gonna have to play them in knockouts so <laughs> I'm not fucking worried about Liverpool right now, man. I'm I'm more worried about like Juventus or fucking yeah. uh, like honestly I'm not worried about Liverpool. Like we get Liverpool. I'm not worried about Juventus. We get Have Liverpool. You seen Juventus, they're even yeah, worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I we get Liverpool in two games. We Arsenal. Arsenal get Liverpool in two games, right? After mm. Spurs, I believe. Two or three. Like this is know. a great time to the hopefully we get them before. Screwed, hopefully though. Arsenal get them before the the world cup break because like i think they do they and hopefully it's fucking oh it's at it's at the emirates damn i want to get anfield out of the way now <clears throat> actually no that that could kickstart their season i'd rather wait until 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't want to, to get, get their annual four nothing drubbing, drubbing of Arsenal. Yeah. They, uh... <laughs> yeah. But the point is, Liverpool, I'm not worried that Liverpool are going to turn it around. I'm worried about whether they'll turn it around in time to save their season. And those worries will, con- will continue into next week. We'll wrap up the podcast. We got some pretty, pretty big. You know what? Let's do some impromptu predictions because we got some big games this weekend. I believe we have a North London Derby and a Manchester Derby. We do. I'm surprised that between the two of us, we've forgotten about that. Well, it's been an international break. Everything's in a pause. Yeah. But we got five minutes left to knock these in. Arsenal, Spurs, 7.30 a.m. Eastern time at the Emirates. What do you got? Well, since it's impromptu, I have to think about this for a second. Um, I mean, the atmosphere at the Emirates is going to be electric. These fans have never been more upbeat in the last 10 years. Now they're top of the table playing Tottenham and North London Derby right after an international break, too. So they're desperate for club club soccer. Um, That's going to be difficult for Tottenham to play in. I can't, if I'm a Tottenham fan, I can't imagine that I'm going to top, I'm going away at top of the table Arsenal and getting three points there. Mm. Could they get a point? It's very possible, and I think they will. I think that there's just too much. There's too little between the two sides right now. Arsenal have been playing well, but they did have their one test against the top six side, and you know, they, they didn't pass. They didn't play poorly, mm-hmm. but you know, they didn't pass the test. So I wouldn't, I'm not confident enough to say that they'll beat Tottenham outright in this game, but I definitely think that it's going to be difficult for Tottenham to take all three points away at the Emirates. So I'm going to say a 2-2 draw. Both of these teams have been attacking very nicely so far this season. Spurs more than Arsenal, but definitely Arsenal still. So 2-2 draw in the North London Derby. I I always say these games are just like made to be draws, you know? Like this is just a draw. It just is a draw. Like, mm-hmm. if Tottenham come to the Emirates the way Arsenal are playing and get a win, that would be ludicrous. If Arsenal, <clears throat> top of the table Arsenal, that have dropped three points this season in eight games? Seven. Seven games. They've dropped three points. If they go and beat their North London rivals in a derby game and stay top, that's just too much happiness for Arsenal fans. That they, There's just yeah. no alternate universe where that happens. <laughs> this is a draw. Uh, This is a 2-2 draw. You said 2-2, right? Yeah. I agree. It's going to be 2-2. I think that Harry Kane is going to score in the eighth minute and go one nothing up, and it will be 1-1 around the 56th, 2-1 Arsenal around the... 59th. So quick turn. Quick turnaround. Arsenal, the stadium's good. If the stadium doesn't collapse by then, I think a uh, set piece or something is going to get Christian Romero an equalizer in the 84th. 2 2. 
It's just a draw. This game is a draw. This game, it could go this way, and it's going to go back this way, and then it's going to go all the way back this way, but it's going to be a draw in the end. That's what I say about all these big games, and honestly, most of the time I'm right. So, draw. Man United, Man City, where's the game? Good question. At the Etihad. At the Etihad. What do you got? I got City taking this one. Um, United, you know, I can't say that they haven't come into the Etihad and won, because they've won a couple times coming to the Etihad. So I can't use that as grounds for why City are going to win. I can use Erling Holland as grounds for why City are going to win, because how can you say he doesn't score at this point? It's Especially when you have a team that's going to not. give him... Probably a little bit of space in behind that other teams won't don't do, and you know yeah. how he thrives when he hangs on that mm-hmm. shoulder. He thrives even when he doesn't have space <laughs> in behind, and the fact that he will is just that much better for him. Um, but it's not just about Erling Holland. Man City is Man City. They're still playing at the top of their game, and to be fair, so is Man United right now. I mean, what they've won four games on the spin right now. Uh, so you can't knock their form, but in the end, both teams are playing well. It's just going to come down to quality here and Man City have more quality. I'm going to say a two, no win for Man City. I, I'm going to go with a draw. Draw. Um, one, one. Uh, I think there is a 0% chance that Jaden Sancho doesn't score in this game. Why? I don't know. But I feel like this is a game that James Sample scores in. Just because it is. Well, he scored in this game last year. He did year. score in this game last year. In this fixture. I just, I, it just is, you know? I just feel like he's going to get the ball 1v1 against, like, Yao Cancelo or some shit and just beat him and score. And it's going to go under Ederson's arm or some shit. Like, gut feeling. Off the dome. Fair enough. Uh, I think City is going to score through Phil Foden in the 64th minute. To equalize. And the last 30 minutes are going to be fucking chaotic for both sides. But the ball will not go in the net. And it will finish 1-1. And those are our off-the-dome predictions. So locked in this rut of deep sadness international break that we didn't even realize the light at the end of the tunnel was two Derby Day fixtures. However, we told you what was going to happen. Sorry for any spoilers. And with that, we will sign off. Adios. See ya.